0: One of the greatest blessings phew, that I've experienced is grandkids. And like, I never thought anything of it. Uh, you know, like when our oldest granddaughter, or one of our oldest granddaughters was born, I was in Mexico doing a mission trip with some of our young adults. And then uh, I phoned home and and uh, our granddaughter had been born. And I thought, wow, man, you know, it was just tears to my eyes and everything else, but it didn't hit me until I come home and I was home and then uh, I got a phone call from my daughter-in-law, Krista, and she goes, don't you love Nevaeh? And I said, huh. I said, of course I love Nevaeh. And she said, well, how come you don't ever come and see her? I said, I'll be right there. And then so from that moment on, I went there and I picked her up. She was just a little gaffer and I picked her up. And every Tuesday after staff meeting from that time on until they moved to Camrose, I'd pick her up and we'd go to the gut and go swimming. And you know, like, it was amazing. Like, I never thought about it. I thought I would like my grandchildren. I thought I'd love them, but man, it was unreal. And then Paul, Pastor Paul, he's, Andrea's expecting, and then he pulls me aside one day. He says, Mark, he says, is having grandkids really as good as everybody says it is? And I said, Paul, it's way better, (laughs) it's way better. And you hear that saying that if I knew having grandkids was so much fun, I'd have had them first. (laughs) But they're great, you know, they're just so great. And uh, this little illustration that I start out with here is about uh, a family in India who aren't having grandchildren. And uh, you know, like in our different cultures that we have in our country, we're learning that cultures are very different. And it's pretty sad because I think a lot of wars have started over just cultural differences of what we think they're thinking or feeling and it's not really the case. It's just the way it's expressed and it's just, you know, it's just different. Well, this family here, like many parents of grown up children, uh, Sudhana and Sanjeev Prasad in, of India, they're frustrated for a lack of grandchildren. And so the Prasads, they resorted to district desperate tactic to get their son moving in this direction. And they're going to force his hand. They decided they would sue him. And so, you know, can you imagine how that would go over, eh? Like if we were to do that in North America, I think that'd be probably the last time we've seen our kids. (laughs) Probably never see our grandkids when they come along. But this couple... Their legal representative, it says, they raised him, they educated him, they made him capable, and they even made him into a pilot, which was all very expensive. And the Prasads filed a suit against his son and daughter-in-law for the damages that amounted to 50 million Indian rupees, which amounts to 870,000 Canadian dollars. I think that'd be a little offensive in a way, but I think it was probably tactfully done. They see people in their neighborhood with grandkids and they think, man, we should have grandkids to play with too. And they said that they didn't marry their son and daughter-in-law so they could just go off and be all by themselves. And so they laid down the law and they said, that's it. They said, in this next year, either you give us a grandchild or you give us compensation. And I don't know the rest of the story. But they're a perfect example of what I want to talk about today. They're an example of a couple that's planning their retirement and they have it in their mind of what this looks like and what our retirement's going to go like. And uh, grandchildren here were obviously a big part of their uh, plans for their retirement. They were expecting certain results, and when those results weren't realized, they thought about how they're going to go out making these results realized. When we come to the realization in our lives that things haven't turned out the way that maybe we've planned or that life is not quite going the way that we would prefer it to go, you know, what do we do about that? You know, we're going to uh, look at that, what we do. How do we handle that kind of thing when life isn't turning out the way that we thought it would or it's going a way we don't want it to go? What, how do we figure that out? And so, Lord, we pray, Father God, that as your word is opened, as I... Uh, share about the life of john the baptist here father god and his expectations and how things just didn't seem to be making sense to him many times in the lives of us your people lord all through history so much has happened that we have no idea about what's going on and lord as we today can look back through history and we can see some really incredible examples of how you've worked through situations and how that your hand has been in control and on different situations Others we still maybe don't know, but Lord, bottom line is we do know that we know in our hearts that you are in control and that as you reveal yourself to us, Father God, and as we spend time in your word and our faith is developed in who you are and how you speak to us and how you work, we can rest in that and we can have peace in that. And I pray today in this message, that's what we come away with. Like we come away with that sense of peace and that sense of rest and just a little bit more of an understanding how we come to you, Lord God, and work these things out. In Jesus' name, amen. So it, said what, you know, it says what messes a lot of people up in life is the picture in our heads of how things are supposed to be and how they actually are. And often there's a disconnect between the life that we expect to have and the life that we're living. And this can have a positive effect. This can have a negative effect. And uh, in a positive effect, it can be, we can be struck with this awe like, you know, and wonder of, like, you know, how am I so blessed, God, that you have blessed our lives like you have and karen and i you know we've often talked about how blessed we are how god's hand has been on our lives and guided us and directed us you know often we just we're in awe of the goodness of god and uh, this didn't just happen it's not like god just whew, he's blessed on our life and it's just woo, and it's just heaven all the time it's taken a lot of effort a lot of prayer and a lot of endurance and perseverance with each other and, you know, together in, as life has unfolded for us. You know, it has taken commitment, a lot of give and take, and it's taking, taken a lot of us putting our own needs, our, our partner's needs ahead of our own needs at times. And there's been so much that, you know, in our lives that I could just really talk on this Topic here on relationships and our relationship over the past 45 years, but that's not where I'm going with this message. Karen and I have been married for 45 years, and there's been many obstacles for us to get over and go through over the years, but over all those years, God has proved Himself to be so faithful to us. And uh, no, we haven't done everything right, and no, it hasn't all been a bed of roses. But when I look at our lives, you know, I just, for me personally, and I know for Karen as well, I just shake my head and just wonder of what God's doing. You know, the fact that I'm standing up here, this is like a miracle of miracles. Like if you've seen me when I just started doing announcements and I'm standing up here and my paper's just shaking, I couldn't even read the paper because it was shaking so hard. But you know i 've tried to just be yielded and saying, "Okay, Lord, because years ago God spoke to me very clearly, and He says, "I want to want you to call my people out of egypt and and He says, But one thing he says don 't be like Moses and say i can 't and as i 've been learning to do this process of being able to try to stand up here and, and be faithful to Him and preach his word uh, there 's been you know just about every sermon i 've prepared it 's like i 've had to repent because you know, he just be like, oh, Lord, you know. But, you know, we have tried to walk hand in hand. And God put us together, he put us together, and he says when a couple come together, they come together and they're one flesh. And so Karen and I have tried to walk this walk out hand in hand uh, together. And God uses each other as walking out as one flesh. You know, like example, I was when young, Felt called right off the bat to be a pastor, and in my fervor and my strong willness, I thought, you know, okay, I want to be a pastor. I mentioned it to Karen. She goes, ah, not right now. And I'm thinking, ah. So then I went back to the Lord and I prayed about. It and I said, okay, Lord, I said, I really feel like you're calling me to be a pastor. But you know, when you because we're one flesh, Karen should have the same heart and so she felt like right not right now and so then I yielded to that and said okay Lord when Karen's ready I'll know that that's the time for us to go into ministry and, and in it's, it's we've done a lot of things like that in our lives when it comes to decision-making we're one flesh and so then we communicate with each other about our desires and you know her starting a job her quitting a job me changing a job uh, you know whatever we're doing we try to make these decisions together and allow God to guide us together through each other that way and it's amazing God honors that and he does that and it's been beautiful we've been blessed and you know we're just so grateful for that and uh, Things have not always gone the way that we have planned, even in that. They haven't always gone that way, the way that we've planned. And along the way, it, it took life took some nasty turns. And, uh, you know, we've experienced some incredible pain together and <laughs> from each other. And we've experienced grief together, which is, you know, tough. And so the... Main thought here that I really hope that we can leave with is, you know, having a little bit of an idea, where do I go when I recognize that things aren't going the way I want them to go? Uh, In my relationships or whatever it might be, in my job. You know, maybe it's not going the way that I had planned for it to go. What do I do with that? Many times things don't go as we plan them to go. And sometimes we can get frustrated with that. You know, and I find and I think that when we really are getting so frustrated because things aren't going the way we think they should, we need to step back and we need to talk to the Lord about that and say, okay, Lord, is this something I should be frustrated about? Or is this something, are you putting in a, a block here and maybe I need to take a turn? God speaks to us in those ways and you know sometimes they can be very confusing to us switching from my company and coming into a ministry there was a little season of you know the work was still coming in and the stress that that would cause and it caused it got to be a confusing place for me for a season until I had to get through that and separate the two and get rid of one and move into the other we can be confused in our circumstances But there's also extreme situations where we can be, that can be very upsetting. And you know, like the loss of a loved one is an incredible thing where it can take, you can be living life like this and then just like that, you can be going the opposite direction in life and you wonder, you know, you're just lost. And uh, that can be very upsetting. And that kind of experiences like that, that are so extreme can cause us to want to disconnect. And the disconnection between what, we ex- what we're expecting and what we're experiencing, it can happen in a very negative way in our lives if we let it. You know, maybe you had big goals and dreams for your life, but unfortunately, life didn't turn out the way that you expected it to. Perhaps you worked hard on a job for decades and the job has only left you less than fulfilled. And it's no secret that marriages struggle. All marriages have a source of struggle to them. You know, but um, as it goes on and on and we feel like these marriages, they're not, the happy, they're not the place, the source of happiness and joy and bliss that we were hoping they would end up being, at least, you know, unity of some kind, But they end up being a source of pain and agony. You know, they don't start out that way. No marriages, st- well, most marriages don't start out that way. It's probably the odd marriage that has started out that way. That way it can only get better, right? Maybe. But they don't generally start out that way. They start out, you know, a marriage, we have in our mind what this is going to look like, what's going to happen with the whole thing. It's wonderful. But then all of a sudden life happens and it turns sour. Someone has cynically said that expectations is the root of all heartache. And you know, sometimes we convince ourselves that life, if life had only turned out the way that I wanted it to, I'd be so much happier. But we all know that that's not quite true because I think that we can you know, think of people that we know that have all the trappings of success in life and yet they, they're still unhappy and unfulfilled. You know, I think we have to accept the fact that often, life is not gonna turn out exactly the way that we want it to or expect it to. And it's here that we have to make the right choices. You know, am I going to allow my circumstances to cause me to become cynical and despondent and deliver a continued sense of regret? Like that's one choice. Am I going to allow that to be my life? Or am I going to take this opportunity to activate my faith and allow these times to be teachable moments that I would help, that would help Me better understand God's plans and purposes for my life. And then John the Baptist, where we're going with the text here, you know, he's learning this at in first hand here. You know, we got my where's my clicker? (laughs) My lovely assistant. Matthew 11:2 2 and 3 says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we be keep looking for someone else? His circumstances didn't quite line up with his expectations. As we look through the text this morning, we can see that John... And a lot of other people had expectations of what life was going to look out, look like when the Messiah come onto the scene. And uh, you know, there's a lot of expectations here when you think about John. He's the son of a priest of Zacharias. Is, his mother's Elizabeth, a relative of uh, Mary, uh, who was the mother of Jesus. Before John was born, John had special written all over his life. Before he was conceived an angel of the Lord told Zacharias that you, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son and you're to name him John. And John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Like that's quite a unique thing. I don't know that you see that anywhere else in scripture, but John was filled in the womb with the Holy Spirit. Zacharias was told that he was gonna do great, he was gonna do great things in the eyes of the Lord. And, um, The angel of the Lord told Zacharias that John would cause many of the people of Israel to turn to God. He would come in the power of the spirit of Elijah. Before John ever took his first breath, he had special written all over him. You know, imagine. Now this was your child. You're you're waiting to have this child and somebody speaks this over you. These are like words like that the Christian, I remember back in the day, you get these kind of words and you're thinking, whoa, that's such good stuff. I want to be a prophet of God. Oh, that just, I don't want to be a prophet of God anymore. You know, like you look at their lives. Their lives are not easy. And uh, like this would have been a pretty exciting thing for Zacharias and Elizabeth. But you know, as life goes on, it doesn't unfold so easily when God is working His His will through the picture because it's something that we cannot lean on with our own understanding. Because God's ways are not our ways; our ways are not His. But He would come in the power and the spirit of the prophet Elijah. Before John ever took his first breath, you know, he uh, was marked as special. There's just something about this guy that God was going to use him. And no doubt his relatives would have all had expectations that he would have been like his dad and he would have followed in his footsteps, which was very typical that he would be a priest. But when John came of age, God called him to be a prophet. And, uh, you know, perhaps they expected John to go to the same school, the rabbinical school that uh, his dad, Zacharias, went to. But instead, when he'd come of age, he, he took off and went to live in the desert john chose to wear clothes of a prophet woven from camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and uh, no doubt that they expected john that he would be kosher the good jewish boy kosher eating the foods and uh, have the diet that a jewish person would have but john he chose to eat the foods of the desert locust and wild honey and he didn't start his ministry in a pulpit but he started his ministry out in the desert his sermons were powerful. And John would, he, uh, would tell people that the kingdom of God was imminent and it was at hand. And John told the people that they needed to repent of their sins and they needed to be baptized as a sign of the repentance. And people from all over the region were being baptized by John at this time. And people streamed out of the cities and into the wilderness to hear this fiery young preacher preach his passionate sermons. And the more John preached, the louder the, crowds, or the larger the crowds got. And he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And the common people loved and admired him for his bravery. But it was this bravery that got him into trouble. In the eyes of man, John's ministry started to go downward because he was arrested and put into prison. So all of a sudden, his ministry wasn't working anymore. His ministry was still working. At first, it was weeks that he was in this prison. Weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. He was in prison for just about two years when he met the end of his life. And John, who had once been in the the talk of the town, was now sitting in this dungeon. You know, where's God at in this picture? And uh, I'm sure that John must have said to himself, that this isn't what I expected this to look like. Every now and then, some of his former disciples, they stopped by the prison because in those days, it would be your family members and your friends that would come and they would bring you warm clothing. They would bring you uh, food and things like that. And John, he was eager to be known what's going on on the outside of this prison walls. In particular, he was interested in what was happening with Jesus. Remember before John, when he was in the wilderness and he was preaching the gospel and he had the privilege of baptizing Jesus and he proclaimed to the crowd, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John announced that Jesus was the Messiah in front of this whole crowd and he was eager to know what was happening with Jesus. What was he up to? And so he was uh, at the same time a little bit bewildered as to what was really going on. He just like because this, you know, they hadn't completely understand what is going on. They never had the picture in their minds of a suffering savior. Matthew 11:3 says, was what John had his men ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor and he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So rather than answer their question directly, Jesus challenged challenged John's disciples to return to John as witnesses of the evidence of his identity. He was doing all of the things that the son of man was supposed to do in the Old Testament prophecies that they all knew were being fulfilled right before them here. And he says, go back and tell John, uh, return to John as witnesses of the evidence of what they knew in their hearts from the scriptures that they knew from Isaiah. He told them to report what they are hearing and seeing. They were hearing the uh, the truth proclaimed and they were seeing signs and wonders confirming what Jesus was saying was really true so we're seeing you know some miracles in our congregation here and i was saying like in the first service you know maybe we need to do a better job at sharing when these miracles when these prayers are being answered because we've had those things happen and we have those prayer requests that you people put in about four or five pages that we go through every week at staff meeting. And we see the answers to prayers that are on these things. And, and so I'm going to work at trying to get that so that you can hear more of those answers because it's, we get all excited about it and it builds our faith. But if you don't hear about the answers to the prayers, it's kind of tough. So we're going to work on that. As John's disciples were walking away, Jesus, he turns to the crowds And uh, who were, they're probably familiar with John's ministry. And he said to them, what kind of a man did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. People were going out of their way to see and hear John. They didn't just jump in their cars and drive out into the wilderness and check it out and then head off to their nearest Burger King. These people would have had to go out of their way to see and hear what John was uh, doing. And rumor was that someone was proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. And Jesus, he asked the crowd, he says, were you looking for a prophet? He says, yes, and he is more than a prophet. He is, John is the man whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending a messenger ahead of you. Another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled before their eyes. I am sending a messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. Those seeking out John went into the desert because they, were, they heard that there was a prophet speaking out there. And Jesus confirmed that whether they realized it or not, their expectations were fulfilled and more. John was more than a typical prophet of the Old Testament. He was the prophet. He was the prophet that was the forerunner of the promised Messiah. And John, struggling with his present circumstances, he was questioning what was happening. He wasn't sure what was going on. As he sits in his dark, cold, damp cell, he's asking, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we be looking for someone else? Family members had expectations of John being the son of a priest. People of Israel, they had expectations of the Messiah and what he would look like when he came, what he would be doing. A lot of what was going on wasn't making sense to a lot of people. But God measures, you know, this is the difference with God. He measures the greatness by the willingness of the heart to yield itself to him and his will so that the true greatness can manifest itself. Through that yielded heart. And therefore, the least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than uh, by God's standard than John the Baptist. You know, and, and Jesus, he wasn't demeaning John's faith here. Look at what he says about John the Baptist. He says, I tell you the truth, all of all of who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. I was wondered about this verse here. And um, this violent, this, uh, his statement about uh, heaven is being forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. It indicates that violent and hostile people will forcibly oppose Christ's advancing kingdom. So as our church advances, as we as a church start to get out of these walls and start to make disciples and start to be a witness, as the kingdom starts to advance, as we start to advance, there's going to be opposition. We can count on it. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. But we should be encouraged by that because it means we're advancing the kingdom of God. The fact that uh, from the time of John started announcing it until this very day, the false teachers of Israel had to done nothing but object. Jesus' appearance on the stage in history was a key point. Something very significant was happening. They were seeing the end of an era and the beginning of another. With John's arrival, the period of the Old Testament ended. And there was a turning point in God's revelation at the appearance of Jesus. And not only did Jesus bring a message, he was the message. Revealing God's mind, his heart, and his person to people. And with God sending his Holy Spirit to live within us, his people, we're the message today. When people look at us, What do they see? Do they see Jesus? That's a great question for us to ask ourselves. When people hear us talking out in public and they maybe hear in a conversation with them, what are they hearing? Do they hear Jesus? You know, throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus said many things that were difficult. He did this to sift out those who were truly teachable from those whose hearts were hardened to the truth. Is Jesus sifting those hearts that are hardened to the truth today? Do you think he's doing the same thing today? You know, because scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is comparing the faithless uh, Israel to the children, to children because their disbelief was so immature and childish. Neither John nor Jesus turned out the way that Israel expected John may have been genuinely asking, if you're the king and I'm your ambassador, why am I still in this prison and why is opposition to you growing? Rather than give him a direct answer, Jesus challenged John's disciples to return to John as witnesses of the evidence that they were seeing of his identity. And in many ways, Jesus, he was a contradiction to the people of Israel. They expected a Messiah who would overthrow Rome with military might, but instead they saw Jesus as a humble teacher and as a quiet healer. Jesus challenged their assumptions about himself. Most were confused because it wasn't lining up with what they had been taught all their lives. And many resolved that confusion by just pushing it away and refusing to accept Jesus as the Messiah Instead, they stumbled over the aspects of how Jesus was acting, what he was like, his personality, his mannerisms. But only those who had ears to hear and those with eyes of faith could see what the resolution of this contradiction that was going on within them. And these were truly the happy and the blessed ones that Jesus talks about. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns that refused to repent of their sins in spite of all the miracles that he had done in their presence. Because Israel continued to reject Jesus, this is a pretty sobering thing here, that even uh, when present with miraculous proof of his identity, he warned them of their greater accountability and harsher judgment. This is not like, uh, unlike us today. We will give an account for all that we have done with what God has given us, in our understanding. All the messages that Pastor Paul and messages that have come across the pulpit, you know, we're going to give an account for what we've done with what God has spoken to us. You know, they are judged as representatives of the nation for having seen the Messiah and rejected him outright. Because they did not respond to, in repentance to such an obvious demonstration of truth about him, they earned... Uh, his curse rather than his blessing. And the Jews had promised, had all the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament and their fulfillment right before their eyes. And to reject the Messiah in the face of such evidence was a greater offense than the worst offenses of Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, who were ignorant in their sins. You know, that's a pretty sobering thought. Like, woe to you, Chorazin, you know, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the, sin, if the miracles had been done in those cities that had been done in front of you, those, those places would have repented long ago. You know, there's an accountability for what we see and what we experience in the Lord. We're going to give an account for that. And, and God is so good. He knows where we're at. He knows our hearts. And he's working to draw us closer to himself and help us, you know, to get in step with him and walk his will out in this world today because we are the truth. We are that message that he wants to send forward. We're reminded of the recurring theme of this faithful remnant in the midst of an unbelieving nation all through the scriptures. And though the majority of Israel rejected God and his gracious offer of a covenant relationship a few in their midst demonstrated the characteristics of kingdom servants humbling themselves before god and accepting his provision for the restoration to their restoration to his kingdom but for those who didn't this is these are sobering texts it says i tell you the truth now At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. He says, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those that think themselves wise and clever and for revealing it to uh, them, to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. He's saying, Thank you for revealing it to the, to the remnant, those that are childlike, those that are humble enough to receive the message of the gospel. My father has entrusted everything to me, Jesus is saying. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. In these verses, Jesus is praising God that he has hidden this from the proud and he's revealed it to to the humble. And in his wisdom and grace, In his own discretion, God is, Jesus is allowing us to understand what we understand. Implied here, it started, uh, stated clearly in verse 27, it's that no person can know or understand the supernatural realities. Only God can reveal them to us. So if you know the truth this morning, it's not something of your own doing. You know, we can't even take credit for that, which is really kind of great but also can be humbling. Recognize that it's not of our own doing. God has allowed us to see the truth and to understand the truth. It's not something that we can take for granted. You know, we see the difference between um, somebody that understands the truth and somebody that doesn't. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, people don't understand it, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light and the good news. Uh, They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. In their eyes, These are those who are, you know, like when we're proud, we feel like, you know, uh, we don't want to listen to somebody because we don't think they know as much as we do. You know, it's the the humility, it's the childlike that, that God looks at. As usual, Jesus turned to the world's value system. He turns the world's value system on its head because God is not like us and we are not like him. And the ways of the world really is amazing, are quite contradictory to the ways of God. The father was pleased that only those who recognize their own spiritual poverty uh, received this revelation regarding Jesus and who he was and his authority and identity. You know, he says it in the Sermon on the Mount on, uh, when he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he says, yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what we wanted, he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Jesus has total authority and discretion on earth as to who's going to find true knowledge in the Father. And this is the nature of the Father-Son relationship. And incredibly, those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father can participate in this divine intimacy. But no one else has a clue. The Christian, we can revel in our walk with Christ Well, somebody who doesn't believe, they have no idea it even exists. Timothy Keller writes in his book, The Supremacy of Prayer, he says that it's remarkable, like Paul is writing to, he's talking about Paul writing to the Ephesians, the Colossian churches, the Philippian churches. He says, it's remarkable that in all his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeal for changes in their circumstances. It is certain that they live in the midst of many dangers and hardships. They faced persecution, death, disease, oppression by powerful forces and separation from loved ones. Their existence was far less secure than ours today. Yet these prayers in these prayers you see not one petition for a better employer, for protection from marauding marauding armies, or even for bread for their next meal. Paul does not pray for the goods we would usually have at the top of our requests. So Jesus is calling us this morning to know him. And are we hearing him? That's a big question when you read those texts that thank you, Father, to hid these things from the wise and the learned. Are we hearing what Jesus is saying today? The Holy Spirit speaking. He wants us to know him better. And he says that no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals him. This is not something we can just assume. We can know of the Father, but do we truly, it says, truly knows the Father? Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says that then Jesus said, come to me, so here's his call to us this morning. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now this analogy that Jesus is using is a great analogy. When you think about, okay, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. The burdens, like he's talking about the burdens and the yoke. He's talking about like an, when oxen is carrying the load that the oxen's carrying is the burden. And I think that often in life we're carrying burdens that God does not mean for us to carry. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary from carrying these burdens that we're not meant to carry. He says, and, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. With the oxen, these yoke are these big oval things that are around their necks and they're yoked together so that when they're in the fields plowing and they're moving about, they're moving in sync. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. And so then he wants to take us. And the great thing is he says, I am humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It's not like, okay, I'm going to yoke myself with Jesus and we're so tensed up because he's going to take us someplace we don't want to go. We're going to do something he doesn't want us to do. He doesn't take us and just pull us over. He doesn't take us and push us. He takes us. He wants us to yoke up with him and then just humbly and walk with him who is humble and gentle. And he wants to teach us. And he teaches us as we're yoked up with him and he walks us, step by step, he leads us. And he says, and you'll find rest for your soul because you can relax in life. You know that you're in step with Jesus and it's a pretty nice place to be. We can be there. And it takes the fight out of life. You know, and, and and it's the same thing with Karen and I. We're yoked up together. We're one flesh. And when we're moving along and then life comes, a change in life, it's like we talk about it. Are we going to go that way? And we go together for the most part. <laughs> we go together. There's always stuff in life. But, you know, Jesus, he wants us to yoke up with him. And so, you know, like... As I was thinking about this, you know, I'm thinking that John the Baptist, he's in a situation where he just doesn't, he's just not sure. And he says, You know, go ask Jesus, man, are you the they're supposed to wait for us? Or should we look for somebody else? And uh, he's comforted with saying, Go show them the signs, tell them the signs, look at the prophecies that are being fulfilled. It's, it's obvious. The answer is clear in what's going on. And um, we need to know that, you know, just like John questioned Jesus, we need to be comforted with the fact that Jesus wants us to ask these questions to him. You know, as we're yoked up with him, we can have these conversations with him as we're walking through life. And he wants us to have that kind of a relationship with him. You know, God knows best in our life. He's showing us a way here this morning how we can walk through this life with him, yoked up with him, and it can take a lot of the burden of this life that we maybe shouldn't be carrying. He can make the load lighter and we can walk out of here yoked up with Jesus free as free can be. Having a hard time staying on the ground. We'd be so free. You know, I was just close with this little illustration of Jabin, my oldest son. He uh, worked with me like I had him. He was just my little buddy all the time. Uh, When he was a little guy, he just went everywhere with me. And uh, so when I, was, I had a, co- a concrete finishing business that uh, he would come to work with me and, well, you're, he's you know, playing in the concrete and stuff like that, but he eventually became to where he was a finisher and he was making decent money and he was 16 years old and he wanted to buy himself a car. And he didn't want just any car, he wanted to buy a Camaro. And so he had saved up his money and so we started to look at cars. And so the very first car we went to see was a good looking hot rod kind of a Camaro. And man, he wanted that Camaro. But I could see that that thing was a piece of junk because it had, you could see it had just been run hard. And then so when I told him he couldn't have that car, he was so disappointed. And I can encourage him, just wait, son. Just wait, we'll find the right one. And, uh, but disappointed because he didn't understand. You know, I'm his dad. I bought them pieces of junk and sat on the side of the road. But, you know, I was sparing him. But I, he didn't know, like, he knew, but he wanted that car. He was disappointed. But God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And as we're yoked up with Jesus, you know, and he's walking us step by step through the day, it's not just a run to try to keep up to Jesus as we're yoked with him. And it's not like, come on, Jesus, you know, let's go, move ahead. We might get a little excited and try, but... You know, if we just stay in stride with Jesus, yoked up with him through life, he'll, you know, like you'll be doing some stuff that's exciting enough, I'll tell you. You know, when he tells you to go over to somebody in in the mall and pray for them, go over and witness to this person or, you know, things that he tells us to do by his spirit, excitement. Then we start hearing testimonies about what the Holy Spirit is doing. Man, what's God doing? You know, it's Sunday mornings. How awesome would it be to hear somebody come up here and talk about a miracle that took place because they felt like the Spirit was telling them to to do this. They went over and did it and this miracle that took place, like that would be pretty exciting, pretty dynamic for our congregation. You know, and until we start going out to make disciples, because I believe when you look at the scriptures, that's where the miracles were taking place. They were taking place when they were out there and they were preaching the gospel. And it says in the end of Mark that that, uh, as the apostles were preaching, uh, the Lord confirmed what they said with signs and wonders. And uh, that's what it's about, being yoked up with Jesus. And so let's just stand as we close in prayer. and, And I just pray, Father, that you would just burn in our hearts, Lord God, this picture of this yoke and being yoked up with you, Jesus, that we would walk. And that we would be aware that we're yoked up with you all the time, that we would be thinking about what you're saying. We'd be meditating on your word day and night and being careful to do everything that's written in it, Lord God, and seeing signs and wonders follow when we are declaring the truth and, and praying for people lord god in the public square whatever we're doing father god guide us as we're yoked up with you help us to hear your word hear your voice and uh, just to be sensitive to the moving of your spirit i pray your blessing on your people right now lord god that this would be so in jesus name that we would care about people that the people in this community majority are lost and there's many that are searching for the truth that are looking And there's obstacles, but Lord, you know about all that stuff and you want to reach these people. And so help us to be your hands and your feet and reach these people. I pray that 2023 would be a a year of harvest for Red Deer, Lord God, that all the churches would experience seeing people be saved. I pray, Lord God, that people would be saved in 2023. Many people in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you as you go this morning. Thank you.